0: Welcome to Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren. Please go to unsafespace.co to support the show. That's .co, not .com. The M stands for Marxism, and we have none of that here. Uh, you can find us on YouTube uh, slash unsafespace, and I think we're also on BitChute, as well as some, a, few other, uh, a few other places. Um, I'm joined today by Dr. Colin Wright. Dr. Wright is an evolutionary biologist at Penn State, who studies the social behavior of insects, ants, wasps, that kind of thing, and also spiders. Uh, so if you're an arachnophobe, he's not your friend. Um, he recently wrote an excellent article uh, in Quillette titled The New Evolution Deniers, which I highly recommend that you read. You can follow him on Twitter at swipe, right, W-R-I-G-H-T. Uh I guess, are you looking for dates? Welcome welcome to the show, Dr. Wright. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Uh, like I said, thank you for coming. Um, so uh, let's start with just, I think a lot of people don't really know what evolutionary evolutionary biology is in the first place. I mean, people kind of vaguely know often what evolution is, but maybe mm-hmm. not what the field of evolutionary biology is. Can you just give us an overview?
1: Yes, I mean, it depends kind of what aspect you're studying. There's people who study it from like a genetics point of view where they're tracking selection on certain genes through time. Uh, So you can look at how certain traits are being selected, for instance, and the strength of selection. Uh, What I study, though, I don't look at genes or anything like that. I guess more specifically, you'd call what I do is being an evolutionary behavioral ecologist so what all that basically means is I'm looking at uh, behavior of organisms and I'm seeing the fitness consequences of that type of behavior. Uh, so I, I specifically study this in the context of like social groups so I'm looking at like the personality of, of individuals within groups and then how how their individual personalities kind of uh, combine to create these emergent colony level personalities and then how these differences in both individual and group behavior um, influences things like the colony's survival, uh, or how well they perform certain tasks. So these proxies for basically group success. So that's basically what I'm doing. And it's 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 kind of a subfield of evolutionary biology, but I'm not specifically tracking genes or selection, just kind of using proxies for those types of things. So I honestly, I
0: you you had a a sentence in your article that said something about The personality study of animal behavior is a vibrant field of study or something i think was the (laughs) was the phrase that you used it wasn't something that occurred to me i think most people don't think ants have personalities or or think of wasps having individual personalities but you're saying actually on the individual level uh even insects have different behavioral traits different personality types basically
1: oh yeah exactly so i mean if we commonly think of personalities is being in, in humans, you know, your friends, they have different personalities, you know, people are, you know, more docile or aggressive or they're introverts or extroverts, things like that. And then if anyone has, you know, if you have two dogs or two cats, uh, you'll notice that, you know, they have distinct personalities. Some some are gonna be more aggressive, some are more docile. Just, there's all types of ways uh, you can classify their behavior, how much, how, how explorative they are, how much they, you know, if they're gonna tend to run away if you open the gate for your, for your yard, or if they're just gonna stay inside. Uh, and so this is kind of what we normally think about when we think of personality, but it's actually true of just wild animals as well. So just as no two individual like a dog or cat behave the same way, same thing with field mice, ants, spiders, everything, they all behave sort of, certainly in mildly different ways. Uh, and this is kind of a way that they can kind of carve out their individual niche in the environment as well. So there's been this big idea in the in the past that sort of behavioral differences among, among animals, it's just kind of adaptive noise. It's not really important. It's just, you know, just behavioral variation. But over the last several decades, it's been pretty clear that this behavioral variation is actually quite adaptive. And then especially in the context of like a social group, uh, you have with just within one colony, you'll have all this, you know, extreme uh, behavioral variation and colonies are actually using this variation to, to divide their labor. So certain individual personality types are better at, you know, attacking predators and some are better, you know, caretakers. And so uh, what I'm doing is basically looking at, you know, what are the fitness consequences of this? How, do, how, to, how does the spider society or an ant society uh, kind of divide labor among personality traits rather than something like morphology or something?
0: And are these traits, I guess, presumably they're, Uh, based in genetics or would would the social justice warriors of the ant world say that these are just social constructs?
1: (laughs) So it appears that no, there's, there's no blank slate going on in these animals. Now that's not to say that conditioning or early life experience can't influence these traits. Um, And there are some species where, you know, early life experience is definitely more important for predicting their behavior and personality traits later uh but we usually tend to find pretty high um heritability of a lot of traits um, okay okay my spire is pretty high as well so
0: so um you, let's let's jump in i guess to the i just was curious about the science but um yeah. <laughs> let's jump in a little bit you you said that um you listed four people as being inspirations for your career choice uh richard dawkins sam harris stephen fry and christopher Hitchens. uh mm-hmm. god rest his soul god in quotes uh, for Christopher Hitchens, but yeah. um, uh, you know Richard uh, Richard Dawkins. Incidentally, The Selfish Gene changed my view of uh, uh, evolution completely. It's a great book. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's accurate. Was it still accurate? Would you still recommend it, or is it not a, a good layman's book?
1: Uh, I would definitely recommend it for sure. It's it's still. I mean, the bones of it are still really good. The genes, Eye center of evolution. A lot of main problems with it is people took it too literally and didn't like realize that you know it's the genes aren't actually selfish uh you know they're it's just kind of a way that's just a title genes preserve themselves just (laughs) they replicate because they replicate because they replicate but otherwise no it's it's an amazing an amazing book for sure
0: yeah okay yeah i always thought the selfish was pretty obviously a metaphor but i guess some people didn't uh You'd
1: be surprised how people just read it by title only, apparently. Fair. Um,
0: So one thing I wanted to say, those were all outspoken atheists. And I don't know what time frame you were kind of deciding your career or thinking about what path to go down. But I assume that at the time, the big threat to uh, science and evolution theory was really coming from uh, the Christian right and the kind of the radical Christian right um, more than the left. Is that is that true?
1: Yeah, at the time. So, yeah, so I was probably in my early 20s, um, around that time, the 2005, 2006. Uh, and it really, I mean, I was i was doing real estate at the time, and I was a business major in school, and I wasn't enjoying it. Uh, but in my spare time, I was reading a lot of, you know, Richard Dawkins, and Stephen Gould, and things like that. And uh, I just got sort of entranced by evolutionary biology, and then, you know, that kind of led to being involved in, like, the creationism, intelligent design uh, entire debate thing. And so, yeah, that that early time with Richard Dawkins was pivotal in me choosing, you know, just to my path to become an evolutionary biologist for sure. I don't think I'd be one today if it wasn't for Richard Dawkins, almost certainly.
0: Okay. So yeah. that kind of intelligent design threat, so to speak, has really subsided. I mean, I hadn't realized it until... I read your article and I stopped and thought, yeah, I haven't really heard a lot about intelligent design anymore. I guess that kind of fell away. Um, but it's but all is not well. It was replaced by a different threat. Do you want to just kind of introduce the threat that you noticed and and uh, the yeah, main subject yeah. of your piece?
1: Yeah, I also just want to note too that it was funny because as soon as I wrote that article, putting down intelligent design, saying it sort of like withered to irrelevancy, Then all of a sudden, my Twitter, all the intelligent design people showed up in mass saying, like, we're still here. (laughs) I see. Well, they're they're just kind of simmering below the surface it seems. There is even a flat
0: earth society still. So yeah, I
1: mean, they're out there for sure. Uh, But yeah, so it's true that in general, um, yeah, in the last eight, 10 years, something like that, it just hasn't seemed to be uh, really front and center. Um, They lost the, the big court case. Uh, in, in in the 2000s and then they just kind of went away and then for a long time everything seemed all right <laughs> and then it wasn't until you know maybe three or four years ago I've just started to see kind of this more I guess I guess you could call it this like this politically correct notions of of human behavior and I've been starting to see sort of this creeping evolution denialism coming from the left in a way. So uh, reverting back to, you know, blank slate psychology, uh, this idea that, you know, we all start off, like, our brains are identical and the only behavioral differences we see between males and females and humans is just pure, purely result of our, of our upbringing. Um, and then, you know, that was something that was concerning, but, you know, it was, it was, it's always been there to some degree, even it's been ramping up. And then it just became Kind of even more jarring when I started seeing people start bringing up things like, you know, that sex itself is a social construct, not just, you know, our behaviors, but like the actual biological sex, just like, you know, male and female, and that that is somehow (laughs) no longer a thing. It's just the social constructionists are really just like, in my piece, I said, they're just jumping the shark, basically, uh, and just going full full moron here it's it's a quite astonishing yeah so let's talk
0: about this because you 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 mentioned that they kind of set up what looks like to me to be this false dichotomy of um this uh tabula rasa psychology viewpoint right where all brains are identical and all all like everything's identical and everything uh all the differences are social um and then they kind of criticize the evolutionary biologists by by categorizing them as evolutionary essentialists, where they basically are saying, well, it's not all biology, but no bio or it's not all genetics, but I don't think any scientist is saying it's all genetics. Can you tell us like what is it? I used some good analogies in your article. What 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 is the actual science here?
1: Yeah, I mean so like most things, things are, p- are pretty complex and it's it's gonna be a combination of genetics and environment. We call that like a G by E interaction. And I've never met any behavioral scientist who would deny the importance of socialization and how that can change the development of your mind and change your tendencies. But we also have innate evolved differences. We see them in our closest primate ancestors and in mammals generally. And when we see things like sexual dimorphism in a species where males are, or there's a difference in size between the sexes, we kind of see certain patterns of behavior, and humans are no different. So there's no reason to think that, you know, that we've somehow lost all these traits that we see in our common ancestors, uh, just from pure socialization, like the the, the idea that we've, we've lost all of these traits without any, you know, remnants of their past, only to have these traits re- recapitulated in the present due to socialization, matching the exact patterns that we would expect to see if they were innate traits, like that's just um, no, there's no real basis for that. Like The best explanation is we've inherited these behavioral traits from our common ancestors. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in humans, I think
0: the brain is like 20% of the calorie consumption is, is the brain. So the idea that there would be no evolutionary pressure on the brain seems a little silly to me.
1: I don't know the exact energetics behind that. But I mean, the easiest thing to evolve is behavioral differences, because it, it, small changes in development can change the way animals behave uh, very quickly. It's, it's really hard to sometimes evolve, you know, like a hard shell or something like that. But you can easily evolve a behavioral differences that will make you, you know, go to a shelter or something. So it's, it's a way that you can you can adapt to your environment by choosing aspects of your environment to dwell in. And so usually what we see is we see behavioral changes first, and then these are sometimes followed by a morphological change, if it's a strong enough selection pressure. Interesting. So, yeah. So, so brains are actually, like, behavior is the easiest, almost the first thing that that leads the way in terms of the evolution of, of many traits that we see. So this idea that, you know, everything is due to socialization and not evolution, that's just completely wrong. We see personality, as I said, in, you know, Ants, bees, wasps—almost any animal that you study, uh, that's that almost any yeah, any species that we've ever looked for personality in nature, we've basically found it. It's becoming the null hypothesis that personality exists in nature, and whenever we don't find it, it's always a shock. So, okay. Yeah.
0: Now let's just uh, just be clear to people. Let's categorize what what you see as we'll call it the social justice position or the the kind of authoritarian left position on um on sex and and where it comes from and and kind of humans being unique i think you compared them to the, their stance to the catholic church stance where like yeah yeah evolution's fine for everyone else but humans so they have a soul and they're completely different can you just categorize like what are you seeing what is what is the explanation that's put forth let's just be clear about that
1: so it's it's a little difficult because they're not entirely clear. They're they're coming at it from all angles. So, I guess if I could distill what I see them saying mostly is that um, that basically it's it's an argument from the existence of intersex individuals. They'll say that uh, that the idea of two sexes uh, is overly simplistic, and then they'll usually have you know some diagrams that show. All the developmental pathways all the complex you know arrows pointing all over the place to different certain developmental conditions that lead to you know one outcome and they'll just you know bombard you with all this all this complex you know developmental science and then basically this is leading them to just is meant to make you throw your hands up and conclude you know like what what is biological sex we really know what's going on here and in reality yes we do know what's going on here we do know what biological sex is and how this works, um, and w- basically they're they're trying to portray sex as some kind of a a spectrum by pointing to like this .02 percent of the population that either has ambiguous genitalia or some sort of mismatch between their genotype and sexual phenotype. Uh, but you know, the, I guess the take home message here would be that intersex conditions are not a third sex. <laughs> so. Um, sex is basically the the potential to produce certain types of gametes, either sperm or egg and there 's no third gamete that 's being produced basically so the idea of two sexes that's I mean that 's all there is intersex uh, conditions are usually sex specific conditions too um, so yeah, so b- basically because they say that you can 't basically put everyone one hundred percent into one blue box and one pink box completely then then there's no distinction to be made, which is just ridiculous. So again, as a
0: layperson, it sounds to me like it sounds to me like they're saying because there are anomalies, some small amount of anomalies that can't be categorized appropriately because there's a I, I don't mean this in a moral way, but there's a defect in terms of like the replication, and there there's mm-hmm. something strange happened or unusual happened. because of there are those outliers, maybe outliers is a better word. because there are those outliers,. Uh, Therefore, the entire categorization is invalid. Yeah,
1: basically. If you, if you can point to one exception, then that disproves the rule, even if they have to search for that one exception as far as they can. And there's, the thing is, like with regard to like the function of sex, like there, are, there is no intermediate. So there are no, uh, you know, there, there just is no individual that is perfect, like a, a true hermaphrodite who's producing both sperm and eggs who could essentially fertilize themselves. Like those that has never been observed in humans ever. <laughs> and, and you said too, um, about how people say that, you know, there's an intersex condition is a result of an error in development. Uh, and then some people will respond to that saying, you know, like, you know, how dare you call these people errors. But no one's saying that, you know, you are an error, like as a human being, as an error. It's just, you know, it's just what we say when, you know, things in development don't go quite as planned.
0: Right. And you used the analogy of hands, right? And it's like I guess using their logic you could say, well, if there's any six fingered individuals out there in the world, therefore you can't say a hand has five digits. That's not a that's yeah. not a thing but, anymore.
1: For for that analogy, it was basically um that one scientific American article that had all the charts with all the, you know, the flow charts and is meant to confuse you about like, do we know what sex is? Well, I mean, if you look at the chart that you could make for any developmental process. I mean, development is just inherently complex thing. There's, you know, all the timing of certain genes being turned on interactions with hormones and certain tissues. Uh, So like, yeah, so having a hand to develop, if you were to chart that out, it would look enormously complex. And you could then trace those development of six-fingered individuals, or, you know, I, I don't know many deformities that happen with hands, but you could trace these out. But that would just, you know, ignore the entire fact that, the vast majority of people still end up with five fingers, perfectly functional hands. Right.
0: So tell me, is this, um, do you think this is really kind of like a fundamental attack on reason itself? Or is there something like less fundamental going on? Cause I, I gotta be honest before we started, I was browsing the web a little bit and I found this article on everyday feminism, which is a horrible website, but, uh, it's, the title was Three Reasons It's Irrational to Demand Rationalism in Social Justice Activism. And the re- reasons were, one, being rational has no inherent value. Two, rationalism is a tool made to hurt us. And three, we are enough without rationalism. Um, I, and I don't know. I, to me, there's this, like, when you make the arguments that you're you're saying they're making— it's it's really a fundamental attack on on the scientific method on critical thinking on on reason itself you can't even have a conversation if you are not willing to to categorize a bimodal distribution that's 99.98% accurate as two things
1: yeah i mean and just that whoever wrote that article is i mean it's completely self defeating to to try to rationally make a case for why rationalism is <laughs> That's a good point. Bad idea. I mean, what is their basis for listing things that you know are bad? I mean, they have to be using logic and reason, and they're rationalizing. So, yeah, it's just it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever <laughs> to do anything like that. But I, I do see, yeah, it, there's definitely an attack on reason, and this is I'm mainly from you know I'm not an expert in in postmodernism or anything like that, but. Um, as far as what I've read and, you know, the work of like James Lindsay and everything, uh, there does seem to be just this mentality of deconstruct everything, you know, like science is a tool of oppression, you know, knowledge is created by those that are in power and therefore we need to just deconstruct all these narratives and then, in, you know, in their place, we'll just build our own, our own re- realities.
0: Ignorance is bliss. That's yeah. the, that's the, fair. Yeah, basically. Fair. So you said that you've seen scientists start to self-censor. You, you mentioned some pressure that you had. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, how, 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 how much do scientists self-censor? I mean, is it, for those of us who aren't in academia, we all kind of assume like, ah, eh, that's an outlier. Mostly scientists are fine and doing their thing.
1: Yeah, so it's hard to quantify, that's for sure. Um, I know that self-censoring was a, a really big problem For me, especially the further along I've gotten in my scientific career, I have more and more professors that are, you know, joining my Facebook and becoming friends. And then due to this ongoing polarization, you tend to see uh, if you make, you know, any moderately controversial post, people will just like pile on. Uh, And so I've just increasingly sort of self-censored and then, you know, through through grad school, then when I'm searching for a postdoc, you know, nobody wants to be Googled and have some, you know, other things that have something on the internet show up that you know that puts you in the camp with you know Nazis or something, right. uh, and then so yeah so then once I got a postdoc then it's just like well now I need to be extra squeaky clean because I'm applying for faculty positions and there's you know the all the the hiring committees are composed of people and you you bet your butt they're gonna Google your name whenever you're uh, when, whenever they're gonna hire someone for a certain position and. You know, if you're public out there, your Twitter handle is going to be the first thing that they're showing up. You know, anything that you've written on there, it's going to show up. And so the, the competitiveness in academia is what's really keeping uh, people from, from wanting to, sp- to speak out. Uh, and then even if, even if they get to the point where they get a professor position, then they have, you know, six years until tenure. And again, the tenure committee, if they think you're a controversial person, uh, then, you know, that might influence your, your tendency to get tenure. Um, It's hard to know how prevalent it is. I just know that at every institution I've been in, uh, the people around me have all expressed this kind of this high level of self-censoring. Before I wrote my Quillette piece, my previous advisor and other mentors that I've had at universities they they told me, don't even publish this thing, not even anonymously, because it might be able to be traced back to you Wow. and yeah, so it was it's it's a big problem for sure, and I think some studies definitely like there needs to be more surveys about the <laughs> levels of this going on uh in universities but um if you when I mean, you look at articles come out in Colette almost on the daily that are that are stressing this same type of this idea that people are not comfortable to to speak out basically
0: have you had to suffer consequences from this yet, your article or no?
1: Um, it's actually been a surprisingly positive uh, reception. There have been some random emails I get from people who, you know, call me a bigot, and that happens on on Twitter as well. I'd say the worst thing that's happened has just been somewhat recently. Some people started tweeting at Penn State, trying to say, like, you know, warning them basically that you have a bigot on your on your on your staff there who's um, could be compromised. Is it gonna, you know, is it gonna be compromising his ability to do science if he's has said to be so biased against one group of people where it's just ridiculous. Like, like it, there's nothing I've said that'd be cons- construed as, as bigotry. And by the way, the thing that got me, that got people tweeting at Penn state was because I, I said that um, uh, human males can't get pregnant. And that's apparently oh, was nice. so <laughs> <they're> <laughs> so transphobic <laughs> that they needed to contact my, my, you know, my, my employer basically. Yeah. So that's, that's the worst that's happened basically. I've had people try to get me kicked off Twitter, but um, yeah, I haven't had like, there's no protesters outside my lab or anything. Penn State is actually pretty, um, it seems to have avoided a lot of the the main, the the big, well, it's kind of of
0: remote, like geographically. So you don't just like swing by Penn State on your way to to get a burger. So,
1: and and I think the undergrad population pulls from a lot of areas in rural Pennsylvania. So you get, I think it's, I don't know the demographics, but I think it's probably a little more uh, towards the right than, than most um, undergrad classes, I think.
0: Right. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that there's a, there's a difference between the crisis now um, where there's kind of pushback against uh, evolutionary theory um, as opposed to when the pushback was coming from the right. Because when it was coming from the right and it was intelligent design, the right has basically no power in academia. Um, but the left actually does have quite a lot of power. Just to, I've, I looked at a few numbers quickly. Um, a recent survey of the forty, 40 leading universities um, found that in the faculty, the Democrats outnumber Republicans uh, eleven point five to one. So there's definitely mm-hmm. some bias there. Um, and if you look at the fields like social scientists, um, they're even more radicalized. Like eighteen percent of the social scientists identify as Marxists, like blatantly. Um so it seems like uh in this case there's a lot, you know, the 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 powers that be aren't helping, they're actually helping enforce this. They're not actually helping you fight against it. Um is that is that your experience? I mean, do you have you know the, the does the dean of the university say like pull you aside and say, Yeah, you're right, or does he say shut up or you're gonna get in trouble?
1: Um so I mean it's gonna vary from university to university uh it's actually the the main threat that a lot of people see isn't necessarily from the administrators quite as much um it's mainly from what most people worry about is the the student body basically um you know going on your twitter trying to find something that's problematic and then basically just going nuts and then petitioning administrators for your job saying that you're a bigot saying you know and and then when administrators have this on their hands you know there's there it's there's so much outrage that people just worry sometimes that um it's it, it'd be almost easier just to get rid of you and save face and act like that they're they're putting forward like a a compassionate face to the world of like yes this person is gone now the the you know the bigot who you know nice. said said that males can have can't get pregnant or something um so yeah, and so it's basically the worry is that these administrations are gonna are gonna cave to the the mobs of students basically, and this is like what happened to you know like Brett Weinstein and Heather Heather um, and yeah. things like that. So that's that's I think what we're most worried about. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, I think to a lot of
0: people they. We viewed this. I, I think a lot of people know that there's been craziness happening in in universities, and especially in terms of kind of radical Marxism and and you know you mentioned deconstructionism and Derrida and the whole kind of crappy postmodern philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of us, you know, I have an engineering degree from years ago, and a lot of us kind of assume like, yeah, that but that's just the crazy humanities. Um, they're just their own thing. It, it's really not the sciences. But you mentioned actually that, I know anthropology isn't really a hard science, but you mentioned that a bunch of anthropology students were uh, now kind of in this Facebook group arguing that uh, sex was a social construct as, as a given. And you also talk about people learning this, this tenant that sex is a social construct in humanities and then just you know taking it over into the sciences and applying it without question is do you see there being more influence into the science sciences from the humanities or is that are they kind of keeping it at bay i mean how how much i guess is it getting worse is
1: it getting into the sciences more or is it um yeah there's a a little spillover i don't want to like sound the alarm and act like you know like they're they're in the labs doing like you know just destroying evolution or something like that because that's that's not the case but i do i do know a lot of of graduate students at the places you know when I was in in Santa Barbara and when I was a grad student at the University of Pittsburgh um there are a lot of grad students who do have these ideas It's unclear how how much this is you know affecting their their science. It could be negligible um, You do see some push to have um you know a like feminist biology what um, it, what would
0: feminist biology be
1: that doesn't make any sense to me yeah so so it's basically it's this idea that there are a lot of questions in biology where they suffer from a male bias and perspective. So if you want to, for an example, look at say sexual selection, um, there is more focus on, on males making decisions and, you know, it was a very male centered uh, view of, you know, what, what decisions are the males making and the, it's kind of like the myth of the coy female that they're just sort of this passive, uh, individual, um, but then this was shown not to be true at all. I mean, there's there's plenty of of uh, evidence that females can actually have adaptive, uh, you know extra extra pair matings and things like that. They have they have all all types of reasons why they could pursue multiple partners as well. And so this was it's a valuable perspective to have. So you can, it's it's one thing to say that there is a certain maybe male bias in certain certain fields that need to be corrected. But the idea that we need something called feminist science to address that uh, and to offset the male bias is not justified because this is basically saying that we're gonna just apply an equal and opposite bias to the scientific search for truth. Where you don't know, because I guess what you'd wanna do is say, like, well, first ask the question, is there a bias in this specific question? Don't just assume that there must be a male bias in this question. And if you can actually test to see that there is some sort of bias, then you don't address it with, with feminist science, you address it with- Science. Just science. Yeah. <laughs> you get data. And if you uncover a bias uh, that might be the result of you know, just more men having you know, their, their bias perspective, well, that's, that's still just science. And then you've, you've demonstrated using data and evidence that this bias exists. So there's, there's no reason to, to modify the word science. Uh, in in this way that they seem to be doing, so you see more discussions like that. Um, but again, it's hard to I don't I don't I don't want to yeah sound the alarm that the science is getting uh, destroyed. But if you do look at certain fields like evolutionary psychology, there have been some papers out now that looked at whether or not uh, your political affiliation, like your self-identified uh, a political scale, if you know if you're how liberal or conservative are you. And the more liberal that you get, the, more, uh, the, the less likely you are to uh, want to accept innate differences in behavior. Uh, you're, you tend to you, you, you de-stress evolutionary causes and you're, you tend to be more biased towards kind of a social constructivist environmental factors. And that's kind of concerning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The political affiliation or the, the degree to which you identify as left or right is going to influence the, the bias you're going into the types of the types of uh, um, I guess results that you're willing to accept in a way. So that's more for the psychology because there's sort of more of a um, blank slate going on in that field. But in terms of like hardcore evolutionary biology and stuff, I don't think it's a problem, but um, it's definitely there. It's in the student body and it could, be, it could be a problem moving forward in the future if, if it's not addressed some way. Okay. For sure.
0: So it, it occurred to me, you know, you talked about um, this idea that they're, they're kind of requiring rejection of biology in order to show compassion and understanding towards trans individuals. Um, and it occurs to me that if you, if you make that a package deal, if you say compassion needs to come with rejection of biology, you're kind of setting up trans people for, um, some pretty, uh, lack, like a lot of lack of compassion, some, some pretty, uh, horrid backlash because the backlash will come wrapped without compassion because you've linked the two as like, well, if compassion means reject biology and I want to support biology, then it's going to come with a lack of compassion. And it, and it, it seems it's almost, uh, Hurting its own their their own cause. It seems like the the right answer is biology plus compassion. That's those don't seem to be at odds to me, or they shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's got to be truth has got to be the most important aspect in the whole equation here. Uh, and and the thing is, I don't know. I haven't met any biologist in any departments I've been in that is a bigot or a transphobe. They're almost always on the left and their pro lgbt rights just across the board like there is i've not i've not a single person who <laughs> would be against gay marriage or equal rights for anyone and the right to express themselves but also as scientists you know we we know the biology we know what sex is we know that you can't actually change your biological sex and so for a group to to link their their rights or their their mission to of, of um, self fulfillment to to a rejection of what we know is verifiably true. it just makes it impossible for scientists to be as good of allies as we can be because we we think that everyone should have the right to express themselves we, they sh- no one should be the target of of actual bigots who hate trans people because they're trans. Um, I think I said that the main problem among a lot of trans rights activists and social justice warriors is they, they kind of interpret attacks to their ideology as an attack on their humanity. And that's just definitely a distinction that needs to be just made and stressed as much as possible, that we can criticize the ideas that you guys are having while still fully accepting your humanity 100%. Um, and that's, I think that, you know, people need to stress this more. And I, I do worry that a backlash that people might have to this trans militancy will be sort of a an erosion of that compassion. But I think that really needs to be just stressed and held up as much as possible because that's we we can't lose the compassion side of that equation because trans people they they do go through they go through hell. I mean, they I, I don't know what it's like to have you know, to, to feel like I'm in the wrong body. And they do face a lot of oppression from people who are legitimate bigots. Um, and that's not okay. But yeah, we can't, we can't jettison truth in favor of these narratives that, you know, that they're actually not the sex that, that they were that they were born.
0: Right. And ultimately, it probably won't help them if we did. So
1: no, and, and then that brings up other things about, you know, Having them participate in female sports, if we just all want to buy into the, the same delusion, you know, that's it's gonna It'll, it'll erode other things that we also value uh, as well. So it's, it's gonna be it's a balancing of values and um, the, the route to to take in all of this is just well like well, what's What's actually true and we can move from that point while, while keeping that compassion as high as possible
0: yeah, I, you know, I actually just read an article today. I forget what sporting event. It was some sprint in in women's, I don't know if it was college or wherever it was, but the the first and second place were, were, were trans women, which is like, you know, it's no one really talks about how this is affecting uh, biological women. Um, and there's a reason yeah. that women's sports were separate from men's sports. And uh, it's definitely having an impact, which is why I think a lot of, uh feminists are kind of at odds with some of this uh ideology as well and you're seeing uh I forget her name but uh Megan something she was recently banned on Trevor uh Twitter for mm-hmm. saying uh men Megan are men and women are women right that was yeah yeah
1: so, so there's a there's there's a language game going on here so and this is something I'm actually um writing about now is it's a uh so there's a there's a difference in the way that they refer to you know male and female and then you also have them talk about uh men and women and it seems like the first stage is where they wanted to separate male female from from man and woman uh saying that you know male and female was you know your biological sex it's immutable uh but but man and woman are um basically Gender terms in a form of your, you know, individual expression of your sex, basically. Uh, and these can be mismatched. And so that was, I think, an easy thing for a lot of people to swallow, you know, like, why do we need these two words to describe the same thing? You know, like, let's, okay, we can, you know, gender has to do with minds and sex has to do with bodies. But then you see, this the switch being made now, sort of a bait and switch. Now, well, once everyone was on board with sort of this, you know, most people I think were on board with.
0: This. Yeah, I think so. I was on board with that. I was like, Oh, that yeah. makes sense. And, I guess you could present as if a woman, even if yeah. you had, uh, so man- but,
1: but now they're going into like sporting events that are, you know, like the, like the women's powerlifting league. And they're saying, well, like, Oh, well, the word woman is, you know, a gendered term, even though this, this, this new word usage was is very recent. And when we talk about, like, say, like the WNBA, the Women's National National Basketball Association, or women's sports and women's events, like these were clearly meant to account for, you know, the sex differences, not gender differences. Right. So they're applying new usages of words to like old laws and re- reinterpreting the words and old laws through the lens of like their this new uh, this this new linguistic switch that they've done, and so now they're saying like, well, why can't we be you know, competing in women's powerlifting because we're women. Everyone was on board with us being women, right? Like it's a gendered thing, but yeah, yeah, they, they were never created to, you know, to account for the ways people subjectively feel about themselves. They were created to account for real athletic differences between males and females. Maybe we need to change it to like, you know, the FNVA or the, you know, female powerlifting Right. Just the the XX and XY groups, or whatever. Yeah, there's just there's so much equivocation going between man, woman, male, and female, and it seems that they they either they either mean different things or the same thing depending on what furthers their agenda the quickest, and uh, it's something definitely to to be weary of and to point out <laughs> whenever you can. It seems like the ultimate
0: victim in all these cases is cisgendered women, and I I almost feel like this would be like a, a, a weird twisted plot of, of like a patriarchal evil conspiracy in some weird movie where it's like, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll convince them that, uh, you know, we can present as women and then we'll just take over like <laughs> biological males will take over everything and we'll, we'll get the, the radical left to agree with us. Um, it's, it's almost, um, brilliant if that were the plan, which I don't think it is, but
1: um. yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous and yeah there's a lot of women that are they're super concerned and so they should be about you know their sports being infiltrated by biological males um and yeah i think it's getting a lot more attention uh, just in the last several weeks or month or so it seems to be more front and center so uh yeah it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing develops it might take uh, the olympics and a lot of people winning you know a lot of trans athletes winning gold and seeing more females you know lower on the podium to to really make it you know shockingly obvious that maybe there's a problem going on here but we'll we'll see yeah now
0: you mentioned that you know you're not sounding the alarm for science yet um
1: do you think just I would say, I would say I'm, I'm yeah I think you need to ring I'm sounding the alarm a little bit it's definitely like there's there's a it's a it's a warning it's it's, it's, we're DEFCON four.
0: Is that we were? Yeah. It's,
1: it's not. It's not a five-alarm fire, but it's definitely okay. like there's some smoke, and maybe we should check that out because it could be, it could be spreading, very quickly, very soon. Okay. <laughs> we're not sure.
0: Okay. Yeah. And do you think this is a, a vocal minority that that uh, is is pushing this, or is this uh, you know on college campuses? A lot of us just aren't on college campuses at all. Um, is this kind of the majority view of the students there, or is this just a very vocal minority?
1: It's it's a vocal minority. Um, so there's there was a, some sort of study that came out that really focused on, I think it was, I think they identified, I want to say like 7% of the people on like the left end of the spectrum, they're the ones that are like the, the engaged left who are the ones that are the more vocal radicals. And I, I think that's probably about right. But then there's also a difference between those who are, like, really pushing that agenda, and then a larger group that is acquiescing to that agenda, that's not really standing in the way of those loud people. And that's what I think we need. We need those people to be more engaged and to really, you know, say, like, whoa, 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 this is, you know, hold up a little bit here. Um, But a lot of those people, they're just not interested in a lot of this. I find a lot of my colleagues, they just want to do science in their labs. They don't care about the broad culture wars. And so when people are like, you know, trying to push these agendas and they want to have, you know, a feminist science meetup or do, you know, they, they, they usually just don't care because they don't think it's a problem because they're just being good scientists working in their lab. And it's, you can't really fault them, uh, you know, in a big way. But at the same time, it's their um, nonchalance that's kind of letting this spread faster than it should be because they're not, they're not pushing back like, like a lot of people who are, um, who are really kind of paying attention, I think, uh, are trying to do.
0: Right. I think that makes sense. Now, do you think, um, do you think any, anything can be done, really? Like, what, what would you suggest to try and reverse this or, or fight this? It, does it require scientists paying more attention to culture or can the rest of us kind of help in some way?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, ultimately, I think it needs, needs to come from more and more people just being willing to to speak up and put themselves out in the out in the open for this. Being willing, being, uh, you know, not you know, there's there's you could just put a um, you could have an anonymous Twitter account, but um, I thought about doing that when I wrote my article, but I decided at the end of the day that you know it would just be much more powerful to actually have you know a name on there where people can see like this is a real person who's coming forward. Um, you do see a lot of anonymous Twitter accounts, and you know it's it's understandable why. But I think what's what it's going to take is a lot of more people to to just sort of resist it and say like, actually, this is a problem. Biological sex is real. I'm not going to acquiesce to your demands just because you guys are loud. Uh, and I th- I think we're actually seeing a lot more of that happening nowadays. More people are willing to to speak up. And I think you know at some point there's this going to be some some quorum that's going to be reached and then all of a sudden hopefully it'll switch where the people are going to be more uh, embarrassed to bring up the insane views like sex is a social construct um because ideally those would be the views that would have the social cost for voicing them not people yes not, not, not biologists who are saying like actually sex is real like but people are, are self-censoring even biologists saying just saying something as obvious as that and the fact that we're in a world where a biologist might get in trouble for saying, you know, biological sex is a real thing, it's just madness. That if we're going to self-censor on this topic, that is basically like the lowest-hanging fruit of something that's so so easily, observably true, then you know, what aren't we going to push back on? So, so more people need to speak up, I think. To so that's
0: determine. a that's a an optimistic, I think, viewpoint. Um, let me just I'm, play. I'm optimistic. Let me put the pessimist for a minute, though, because Twitter doesn't let you do that. Twitter is shutting down um, people who say men are men and women are women. And so Twitter is on their side. It's not an open forum. Um, And you mentioned Twitter as being kind of the de facto platform for uh, Mm. social discourse or political discourse. Um, You know, what do we do about that? What do we do about the fact that Twitter is clearly run by social justice warriors?
1: Yeah, so I think for the, at least the short term, we need to be able to just be extremely precise in the language we use on Twitter, because Twitter has completely doubled down on the the gender self-ID definition of gender, where it's, you know, you're, you're the gender that you, you say you are, um, and if you misgender someone, if you use, you know, uh, if you use the word he to describe for someone who identifies as a she, that's misgendering. You can get banned for for life for doing that um, but so i've I've refused to play that game <laughs> whenever I'm on twitter i you know I just make absolutely sure that if I'm talking about biological sex, I'm using male and female, and then and if I'm talking about gender, I want to have them you you tell me what gender is, so I know what you're talking about here because I don't want to be baited, and you will see them try to bait you into like you'll make an argument saying something like like when I said. Uh, you know, human males can't get pregnant, someone will respond, yes, men can get pregnant. And it's like, well, oh, you said men, I said males. And then so, and they'll, they'll try to get you to then play their language game. So then you disagree with them and say something like men aren't women or women aren't men, which are gendered terms. And then you're going to get flagged and potentially banned. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what they're they're doing. And so even though there's perfectly reasonable argument to be made that you know, there's, there's many different definitions of gender. If you're a radical feminist, it's more of, you know, a social contract in the way that, you know, society genders individuals and it's, it has to do with like the norms and expectations and roles associated with perceived biological sex. Like that's the whole, that's one framework that they're working with. Then you have like the gender self-ID people, which is just like, I am the gender that I say I am. And that may or may not be equivalent to sex depending on the weather. Um, and then there's people that are, Conservatives who whenever they say the word gender, they're essentially just meaning biological sex. Like if you look on your right Some driver's license might say gender like well, no one asked me, you know, how I identified. It's just it's clearly just What they mean when they refer to sex and so you have all these different uses of gender We all need to realize that Twitter has has decreed that the gender self ID ideology is their basis for banning individuals and so I don't, I don't use that at all. I, 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 as a biologist, I'm just going to talk about sex when I mean sex, male, female. And I try to not even use gendered terms as much as I possibly can. Um, and I find that that's, I've been, people have tried to report me for, you know, saying things, but I think because of my precise use of, of male, female, uh, that is so far it's, it's been a good shield against that.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that. I I, I didn't until you just said it. I real I hadn't thought of it in those terms of like, oh, male and female are biological sex terms, and men and women are gendered terms. Like, yeah, and I hadn't probably, thought of that.
1: That's probably the biggest source of confusion that you see on Twitter right now when people talk about gender, and just just using everyone's using man woman. In completely different ways, and so I'm I'm writing an article about this right now, just because it's just causing so much confusion. It's kind of i, I don't compare it to if you have a ta- if you're talking to someone and you ask them if they believe in God, and you, they might say, "Oh, yes, I do," and you might say, "Oh, me too," but then you know you mean like you're a pantheist, and you mean the universe when you're talking about the God, and then this other person who agreed with you that God exists means, uh, you know, they're they're mean like a orthodox Christian God who answers your prayers, like they actually don't agree on anything. They just agree that they believe in the noise God, even though there's no actual like conceptual agreement going on whatsoever. And that's what's happening on Twitter. Uh, and this was getting people banned for inadvertently saying like Megan Murphy when she, she got banned for saying,
0: that's who it uh, was.
1: Thank you. Megan Murphy. Yeah, yeah. She got banned for saying, you know, men aren't women though. And in, in the radical feminist framework, they use men and women in different ways than the, uh, gender self-ID people, the trans rights activists. And then she got banned, you know, well, that was her first suspension. Then she got banned when she referred to someone like, yes, that's him. Because him, her, those are gender terms. And so it's the misgendering that Twitter is getting people banned for. So, But if she had said
0: males aren't females, they would have been, she would have been safe.
1: Probably, I would be shocked if they banned her for that. Interesting. Uh, yeah, but you know, they, they might, who knows, they might start doing that too, because, I mean, they've apparently are okay with changing meanings of words recently, and they could change them again. Um, and people might, and there are a bunch of trans people who, who are saying that, you know, you know, you need to call us, you need to, we are biologically male now. Um, and so depending on how much Twitter wants to protect people who identify as a different sex rather than gender, uh, that could it could end up being taboo to say males aren't females, although that's one thing I'll never stop saying as a biologist. It's just true. So sure. Yeah.
0: I sometimes wonder even if the most trans people are even on board with some of this crazy activism. I, I, I'm not so sure. I imagine that a lot of trans people are are just kind of look at this this radical social justice stuff and kind of wish that they would just shut up and stop making a big Mm -hmm. deal and let them go live their lives.
1: I think that's, I think that's definitely true Within any group. It's going to be the most vocal minority. Um, I mean, I did a a appearance on, on TV a couple, like maybe a month ago with uh, Jen Smith and she was a a trans woman. Um, Actually it goes by he pronouns though, and him uh, because they identify themselves as a male. They don't buy the whole, you know, that they're, they're, you know, realists, they, they, she completely admits that they're uh, biologically male, but they, you know, identify as a, as a woman, and they have right. uh, aggressed themselves in that way, but she just got banned on Twitter, actually permanently recently as oh, well. for what? Uh, for, Again, for misgendering, because she uses um, For misgendering she, herself, for, or someone else? Yeah. Somebody else, because, because they don't, they, they, they didn't buy into the um, gender ID um, framework. They're more of the, um, social construction, like gender roles type framework of he and she, uh, man and woman. Interesting.
0: So, yeah. so uh, you know, I just want to wrap it up. We're getting close to the end here. I guess the last question I have for you is, do you have any advice for aspiring biologists who, who you know, maybe they're undergrad, they just got out of high school, they're going, they're going to get their degree in biology. They want to be an evolutionary biologist. Uh, what do you, what advice do you have for them?
1: So if you're if you're looking for grad schools, I would say uh, choose your school not based on the school. Choose it by the the PI, the professor who's doing the work. Choose to work in a lab that's doing work you find super interesting because you got to do it for five or more years, and uh, you're going to get burned out if you're doing something you hate. Uh, start publishing papers as soon as you can because that's the currency in science and Uh, If you're going to be trying to look for postdocs or jobs, that's the first thing they're going to look for is uh, when you first authored papers you have and uh, do your best to, I guess, speak up along the way and try not to self-censor too much, if at all possible. (laughs) All I got. Awesome. Well, uh,
0: thank you. I really, I really appreciate your time, um, Colin. Can we uh, just tell people how, how do you want them to follow you? Twitter is the best way. What's the best way for people to pay attention to what you're doing?
1: Yeah, I guess Twitter is probably the way to follow me. It's uh, at Swipe Right, so W R I G H T. It's my last name, so yeah, it's probably the best way. I'm on there pretty frequently, sharing stuff. So yeah, awesome. Send me a message, or uh, yeah, my email is also on there too. If you guys want to email me, great. Well,
0: thank you for joining. Um, thank you, everyone, for watching this episode. You can follow us at uh, Unsafe Space Co on Twitter. You can go to youtubecom unsavespace and UnsafeSpace.Co is our URL. Uh, so thanks everyone for watching, and we'll see you next time.